The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to The Second Stage. Uh, I'm here with Jeff Cadlick. Jeff, how are you doing on this cold, freezing day in Cleveland, Ohio? I, I, you know what? Polar vortex is a four-letter word. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but I, I think it, I understand it now. So yes, yeah, I'm, I'm buying that. You'd have to agree with that. Yeah, I got to tell you, for people that live in Cleveland, it's amazing they forget how to drive in the snow from one, you know, one day, one year to another. Um, either that, or maybe there's just one new person that clogs everything up. I don't know. You tell me how that works. No, I, I, I totally agree. I, I um. I well, I have a sixteen-year-old, and do? so last night I—I <laughs> I thought you were sixteen. I, oh, you just act sixteen. I know. I, yeah, I just act sixteen, and and I look sixteen, but um, or you act this, sixteen. This <laughs> this is the first year that I I I was really cautioning him. No sudden movements. You have to really pay attention, you know, all that sort of stuff. I'm going through the typical parental anxiety of having a six-year-old drive through their first day of heavy snow. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, you know, I have two 17-year-olds. I'm not sure I'm up for that yet. So uh, I, I'm going to give them a little bit more uh, time because I'm not sure you know, that, that they're quite capable of stopping the vehicle. So uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so Colin, just, just Colin Chen, if you're listening, I'm kidding. You guys are, you know, just uh, don't go out and do it without me. You're just um, going to be on a toboggan or something like that? That's, that's what I'm thinking. You know, with wow. the padded walls, as I'm thinking, padded uh, sides. So it's good. It's good. Stuff. Hey, Joe, hey, I want to tell you, I just finished another book. Um, it was. A, it's a book. It's not what you sell. It's what you stand for. It was huh. a, written by Roy Spence Jr. and it's basically uh, kind of the you know why every extraordinary business is driven by purpose. Uh, it was one of the books that was recommended by the uh, um, you know the Purpose Capital Group here in Cleveland, and uh, it's 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 a, probably a book. Best I can figure, it's a book for people that have kind of already decided that purpose is a is a good thing to do, and it gives. It's more of a um, you know, it's not it, it, obviously it, it explains why you have having a purpose and why those companies are more successful. But I think it's it's more for somebody that's that spent some more time thinking about it as the people that are just kind of you know learning for the first first time around. So I just thought I would, you know, it's, it's a good book. It's a inspiring, you know, you, you hear the stories and you go, you know, and you kind of, they talk about examples of, of how entrepreneurs were able to use their, you know, their vision and so forth, create a purpose, grow a business. And, um, uh, it's, a, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good book. I, I'll give it a, uh, one of those books you read once you've kind of, you know, understood, uh, traction or gazelles and, and get a grip and, and so forth. You know, it's a good, good next step. How's that for a 
No, and I appreciate that. But it, as soon as you were talking about it's what you stand for, I went immediately to the Golden Circles by Simon Sinek, which oh, is damn your darn Golden Circles again. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's you know about your why, not your how or your what is is. Um, how your organization operates and and if if you believe in what I believe then there you're there on your terms not on my terms type of a logic which I thought was brilliant um, so anyway um, I, I I hear what you're saying look <clears throat> for those listeners out there um, hopefully you can tell that that we're always looking for a better way which is one of our core values and um, trying to always get better and I think that's the mark not only of a great entrepreneur but a great person is always trying to strive to get better in whatever it is could be sports it could be um, you know uh, just chasing knowledge you know improving your your skills at work you know so on and so forth and but you got to want it and you got to love it and that's that's what we are here at evolution we kind of want and love this stuff so I think most entrepreneurs, and I know we pound this one, just they, they think, you know, God, how do I find something that's unique to what I do and, and other than out hustling the competition because that's how most entrepreneurs that they provide their unique is that they're they're attentive. They provide great customer service and that sort of thing. And, and that's obviously important. It's a, you know, it's I don't want to say it's a table stake because not everybody does it, but that's how most entrepreneurs succeed. And I think what's neat is when you when you listen to uh, uh, Roy's book. Um, he had a, an advertising agency. I'm, he probably took offense to that, but that's the way I take my takeaway. And in, in early on, many, many, many years ago, uh, he decided he would only take on uh, clients that had a purpose because from his perspective, it was almost impossible to market a company without a purpose because then you were just spending dollars. And I'm putting a lot of – taking a lot of uh, liberties with uh, with what he says in the book, of course, because you know that's – I just remember bullet points, Jeff, if you remember my train of thinking. But um, – and I think it was pretty pretty unique. And, and I just – I partly that – I kind of challenge entrepreneurs to stop and think about you know this is part of – if we've had a couple shows on identifying your, your core customers. Customer, identifying the people that, um, that that truly will appreciate and stay with you for the long term, and and so he you know he obviously did a great job doing that. And um, as I mentioned during our last show, I was you know was was privileged to to do a uh, one of my uh, giving moments of. Um, you know, of, a, of another entrepreneur as we work through the accountability chart and, you know, from the outsider's perspective, you're just trying to drive them to find this thing, try to find this, this story, this, this, uh, this, you know, perfect customer that lets you find your purpose. And, and I, and I just challenge the entrepreneurs out there listening, just stop and think about the customers that, that, that you appreciate and they appreciate you and try to figure out what's unique about them. Try to figure out what it is that you can go out and find more people, more companies like that. And it's it's it really is that uh, it's that simple, but that that hard, right, Jeff? Right. No, and 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 I agree with everything you said. And that probably means we spend too much time together because uh, we hear ourselves talk, and ultimately, it's you think it's your own idea. <laughs> which which then goes, you know, as you and I uh, love to hear uh, Bud Bryan talk, the guy that runs uh, Bud Co Financial, uh, one of our partners in Detroit. He, his one of his the statements he says frequently is, "All profound knowledge comes from the outside," and and that's why we just you know that continuous learning uh, piece is uh, is very very important, and you just got to kind of continue to to ask people. You know, ask your customers, ask your suppliers, ask anybody to listen. You know what it is they see that you're that you're doing that's unique. So 
Um, other than that, Jeff, that was uh, just you know the book that I, had, as you know, I don't actually read the books; I listen to them because I, you know, holding a book would be very painful for me. But uh, it was uh, it was an interesting one. It was interesting. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, and um, and and I agree with what you said. I, I did want to kind of move on though to our really? guest. Yes, I did. Uh, I want to move on to our guest today, and I feel we were a little, at least I certainly was, uh, probably a little um, cavalier about Michael's Marhofer's qualifications um, as we went through that show. And, and I, I was, and Michael certainly hasn't said anything to me about this, but I was because we had so much to cover in the last show. Uh, if our listeners recall, we're doing a three-part series, and today's show is the third of three shows, the first show of which was a couple weeks ago where we talked about preparing your business for sale. Last week was really getting into the purchase agreement, and in both shows, uh, Mike – spoke uh, almost continuously for 35 minutes uh, to get through all the information. And uh, for those listeners that haven't listened to those other shows, there's a ton of information. So I wanted to give uh, Mike his props uh, as we get into this show uh, and just remind everybody that he works for a law firm that we do a lot of work with called Calfee Halter and Griswold. Uh, they're a Cleveland-based firm with offices uh, in uh, Ohio, uh, Columbus, and Cincinnati. But they uh, really go toe-to-toe, so to speak, with any major law firm in the country, and that's what makes them great and a group that we enjoy working with. Uh, Michael, uh, and you can find it at www.calfee.com, C-A-L-F-E-E.com. Uh, Michael is the co-chair of Calfee's M&A practice group and a member of the firm's executive committee. He practices His practice involves counseling uh, closely and publicly held clients as well as private equity firms such as Evolution uh, and their portfolio companies on general corporate and business matters, mergers and acquisitions, reorganizations, and joint venture transactions. And so we greatly appreciate his uh, time and attention that he has given this show uh, and our listeners because his remarks are right on the money. Um, I do want to take a break, as I always do, uh, and uh, – you know, Brennan and I got into doing this show because we wanted to have a format to share best practices and to share, uh, create a a forum for all entrepreneurs that are out there looking for answers and trying to improve like Brendan and I are. And we have been thrilled with the support that we've received Um uh, as we since we got the show started, and we think uh, we're in a great spot because we get to uh, spend a lot of time with interesting people as we prepare for these shows. So, I just want to remind everybody that uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, you know, you can certainly continue our conversation uh, on our blog at evolutioncp.com. Uh, you can email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. And I also want to, uh, again, thank our sponsors, uh, McGladry LLP. Uh, they make our lives a lot easier in putting the show together each week. Uh, they are a leading provider of assurance tax and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. 
when we come back after this first break, we are going to have our guest, Mike Marhoffer, on the line, and we're going to move into the third of our three-part series, and today we're going to cover more about uh, shareholders' agreements and employment agreements, and it should be as valuable uh, on this show as the, the last two have. So thank you for tuning in to the second stage. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. For 27 years, Kidstar has empowered thousands of kids across the country. And now we have the opportunity to empower children around the world. Kidstar is announcing a new radio show called Voyage Earth. Voyage Earth will empower kids from across the world. And we need your help. Kidstar has created a Kickstarter campaign just for this new undertaking. By pledging to Kickstarter, you pledge for a future of empowered people to come. My name is Harmony Hagedorn. And I'm Angela Maris. From the Angela and Harmony Show on Voice America Kids. Kidstar, we empower kids. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson, and we have our guest, Mike Marhofer of uh, Calfee Halter and Griswold. Uh, he has been very, very uh, generous with his time. Uh, this is the third of a three-part series on um, a lot of the issues surrounding selling your business. The first segment was uh, selling, you know, pr- preparing to sell your business. The second segment was about uh, more about the purchase agreement. Today, we're going to cover more about the shareholder agreement and employment agreements. Uh, welcome back to the show, Michael. Thanks, guys. I'm glad uh, glad to be back and, and uh, thankful uh, I was invited back for a third show. So, appreciate it. <laughs> So thank thank you, uh, uh, Mike, for for doing this. We uh, we we really do appreciate it. Jeff kind of talked about like the the different stages that uh that, you know that the you know selling your company and then the purchase agreement and then and now we're rolling to the shareholder operating agreement and the employment agreement. Maybe talk about structurally what what you know what those are. Yeah, well, they're they're, they're basically the the overall business agreement between whether it be shareholders or partners or members, 
of a company. So they're, they're, they're critical um, so that there's a meeting of the minds in, in key business decisions, uh, and, and so there's a continuity of control of the ownership and the management of the company. So um, you really want to make sure that uh, all the investors and all the partners are on the same page, um, and you do that uh, through this document that we'll, that we'll explain and many provisions in it. Um, you know, first and foremost, though, it's always before you even get into the documentation, it's, you know, know thy partner, right? You make sure that, you know, the person you're going to enter into business with um, or the investors you're going to bring into your business, you know, share common goals. You have a shared vision. Um, you have the capital that you think is necessary and that you also have, you know, same goals as far as the exit for the business. How, how are we going to, uh, in, in the end, um, sell the business or, or get out of the business. I think that's very important um, before you even get into, you know, into business, into, into the documentation. You just, just, just know the partner so that you, so there is some, a, a common ground to work from and, and you don't run into issues. And, and we often, uh, you know, say, and, and it's true. I mean, we, we feel it's true that that you know these documents are put in place because everybody, when they're going into a transaction, is is you know is fundamentally on the same page and you know and excited, and it's, it's important to document that and and to make sure that you know that, that there's a reference. You know, most a lot of times you you rarely go back and look at the documents because things things go well and and, and partners are you know get you know get along and so forth. But you know the, these things are important for when things do go sideways or 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 you know, or, or you know, exceptionally, exceptionally well, or at least there's some sort of disagreement. And and I, the point being is that you know that um, there's still a degree of, to your point, I hope uh, there's still a degree of trust and so forth. But it's trust, but let's document what we know to be true. Is that a is that kind of a fair summary? Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, Brendan, and, and it is actually absolutely true. Um, you, you know, obviously, before you jump into business with anyone, you, you do have planning discussions. You have your business plan. You have the shared goals and and vision. And then it starts, right? And then, you know, you got to provide for um, the what-ifs. Uh, things change down the road. Sometimes difficult decisions need to be made. And these documents are, 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 are you know, are intended to provide kind of like some guideposts to, so that, you know, if you run into those difficult decisions or uh, things need to be uh, changed or made or a new partner needs to be brought in or whatever else comes up, that these documents will help guide the parties through that in an amicable manner. Uh, without it, you know, it's basically you got to agree, and, and, and sometimes uh, that's difficult to do uh, depending on the circumstances and what issues in front of you. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of times, you know, you, you put them on the shelf, the partners know that it's there, uh, and, and it helps people really act in the right way, if you will, uh, to get decisions made for the best interest of the company and, and moving forward. But w- without them, uh, it allows people to maybe, you know, negotiate harder or, you know, not in the best interest of the company. So it's critical that you have them uh, to provide that, that safety blanket, if you will, uh, for, uh, for the decisions that will come down the road. Well, it's also from an estate planning perspective, you know, that's important. So if, if, if for whatever reason one of the partners was incapacitated or or passed away, it gives 
you know, the lawyers and the partner and the family of the deceased partner, uh, you know, a guide to help resolve these matters. And, and as we all know, most small business owners' entire wealth is wrapped up in, in that business. Well, that, that, that's absolutely. And I, I would say that is the number one reason to have one is to provide for the continuity of control of the ownership, right? And, and we could be talking about a 50-50 partnership or one where there's a majority shareholder, which, which actually controls the whole situation. Regardless of that, and we'll, and we'll go into greater detail, you know, the, the transfer restrictions and, and what happens with someone's shares on death, disability, termination of employment, et cetera, you know, these documents provide for exactly what happens, right, so that you do have the continuity and control of ownership Particularly if you're the majority shareholder, you want to make sure that you you know you can get a terminated employee out of the business. Or if you're a 50-50 partner, you want, again you want to know thy partner, so you want to provide in there what happens if if something happens to my partner, regardless of the circumstance. You you want to have control over who the next partner is. You can't just let one partner sell to someone else you don't know. So it, it, it's critical, and it's probably number one reason to have it. Um, and, and, and really kind of cuts both ways because you don't know the circumstances that are going to come up later um, that you know, both parties or all parties uh, want really that continuity and understanding about what happens in those circumstances. You guys, uh, you know, you lawyers and, uh, and you know, uh, kind of uh, private equity guys use all these big fancy words in these, in these uh, documents, and I'm just a poor ADD entrepreneur, and so I was really hoping you guys could explain this stuff to me. You guys say crazy things like uh, anti-dilution and preemptive, preemptive rights. That sounds like a pretty complex uh, concept. You better, uh, you better bring me up to speed on that stuff. <laughs> well, anti-dilution is, and it, it, it is kind of complicated, and yeah, to quickly hit that is, uh, and it, it doesn't come up that much. It really is more of a venture capital situation. But basically, if an investor is putting money in, let's say, at $1,000, um, it may require, and certainly request and negotiate for anti-dilution protection. And what that means is if there's a subsequent round and money that needs to go into the business and it goes in for less than $1,000, the, the amount that that uh, first investor put in, let's say it's 800 then their interest would be protected from the dilution for the down round, and they would have anti-dilution protection, uh, meaning it would be then as if they invested the $800 amount. So that's for down rounds, more in venture capital uh, when you need that additional capital going in, and, and that first guy or investor wants in and, and wants that protection. Um, the preemptive rights are, are, are actually, you know, very common. Uh, that's in theory that, I, you know, everyone put money in, and if more money is needed, that the current shareholders, investors, or members are able to put their pro rata share in. So they have a right, a preemptive right, or the right to put up, uh, you know, their pro rata share. Of the, so if they own 10% and, and, you're, and you're putting in $100,000, they have the right to put in $10,000 of that $100,000. So they maintain the ownership percentage in the business going forward. So... Hey, Mike, I wanted to, sorry, I wanted to clarify one, one point for our listeners. So when you made the point about the $1,000, that was $1,000 a share and then yeah. $800 a share. And that there's what I think is good dilution and bad dilution. So if you put in $1,000 per share and then it was $2,000 per share, you're still getting diluted, meaning you're going to own less of a bigger pie 
that's good stuff because yeah, that no, is a yeah, good, good point. Yeah, it would be dilutive just from the standpoint of uh, of the of the business isn't worth as much. It's not as valued as much in the second round. But uh, absolutely, and, and in your example, Jeff, that's where the preemptive right would come in. So everyone's happy, right? Everyone's accretive to this point. The valuation has gone higher. And then you're in the preemptive right mode where I just get a right to participate in that second round at the higher valuation. And anti-dilution would not apply there. Right. Right. All right. So you guys have, you guys have uh, um, other, other big things like uh, you know board representation, key decisions, deadlocks. I mean, come on. I'm just a simple guy. Tell me, tell me what that means it, it to me. It says dreadlocks. It says dreadlocks there. <laughs> dreadlocks. Dreadlocks. I like dread. You know what? I don't have enough. Can I just do the dreadlocks on the side? Is that possible? <laughs> that would be that would be pretty gross. That would okay. work. I like it. <laughs> There's wigs for that. Mike, so, so oh, board representation, right, key decisions. Uh, what we're talking about here is, you know, obviously the operation of the of the business going forward. So the board of directors, board of managers, who's going to be on it, who's going to control the key decision making from the board level, and 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 then in some instances you also get into, you know. The key decisions, you know, what are the shareholders, members going to decide on? What is the board going to decide on? And then what's left for, obviously, the officers to run the day-to-day. But if there's key decisions like, you know, um, obviously uh, bringing a partner into the business or incurring debt, selling the business, those will be left to the shareholders. Not even the board can decide those. And then on the board level, the board can decide you know, bigger things that they don't want the individual officers to do on a day-to-day decision. So those types of provisions you'll see certainly in, in, in 50-50 uh, type of or smaller type of, of businesses and in these agreements. You know, if you have a majority share of private equity, you know, you know basically, uh, you know, they control the board and, and they make all the decisions and then obviously uh, elect officers to run the day-to-day business. But uh, you, you want to um, you want to make sure that uh, you know if you have a full board, but you want the shareholders in a two two person situation. You want to make sure they're making the overall key decisions for, for the business going forward. And then in some instances, you know the deadlock provisions. Um, you know what happens if the two shareholders don't agree, right? You, you need more money, uh, whether debt or equity. Uh, to go forward, and, and, and the two shareholders can't agree on that. Well, that's a deadlock of a material, uh, a material event, deadlock situation, and, and, and your document can help you through on how, how those uh, decisions are made, uh, or if they can't be made, then, you know, how, how the business is going to be sold, and, and you get into really intricate provisions on, on resolving deadlocks. So, so basically, the business can go forward, right? If you need money, and you can't decide on how to get it, something needs to be done, right? You don't want the whole thing to implode, so your document can help you through that tough decision and through that deadlock situation. And I think, you know, just kind of put dumb it down to the way I think of stuff, which is, uh, you know, which is brilliant, I may point out, is that, we, you know, we look at, evolution looks at these things is, you know, we sit down with management and we create a, we create a budget and a plan and, 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 and they're, you know, they're kind of free to run the business um, as, you know, you know, within those plans and, and, um, you know, and then they really come to the, to the board or to the shareholders if there's something, you know, some big decision or some, you know, something that, you know, that some hiccup, some, some bigger issue. And, um, you know, so it's, you know, it really is, um, you know, they, they can, you know, there really is the spirit of some of those agreements and, and so forth that can be, that can be 
drafted in there. Um, yeah. Mike, Mike, I'm, I see this word waterfall. Does that mean we're going on vacation or I need a shower? <laughs> what's that? Uh, waterfall slash district. What, what's, what's all that mean? Yeah, so that's um, that's in uh, limited liability companies because uh, basically in corporations, um, this is basically how the profits uh, or any proceeds uh, cash flow is, is split. In corporations, it goes uh, in accordance with um, either your charter document if there's if there's preferred or basically as your shareholder percentage uh, of the company. So waterfalls and LLCs, and that's why LLCs are so popular. It gives you greater flexibility to provide for the distribution and flow of funds from the company out to its members. So you can have very complicated waterfalls, like if you have a Class A or B or C units and, and you want to get the Class A, their money back, plus a preferred return, you know, that's the first part of the waterfall. And once that happens, it goes down to the Class Bs, and maybe the Class Bs, you know, get up to a certain percentage of the money, and then you go into the Class Cs or, and maybe A, Bs, and Cs split from there. So it's basically a cascade down of how you split the interests. And like I said, in LLCs, you can be really uh, – you can in corps too, but the waterfall provisions are really, are really popular in the LLCs because it gives you greater flexibility uh, to really distribute um, funds, profits in, in any way possible. And in, in, in evolution's world, that's often um – you know, where as the value of a company increases or really explodes, it, it, it permits us to share us, us and the, you know, the, the other owners of the business share more and more of the, of the future of the business or the growth of business with management. And so you know, that's where a waterfall, at least in the, you know, in the evolution deals, are, is pretty important because you know, we often you – know, it's important for us to share that growth with the people that are doing it, and that, that really lets that happen. Is that a yeah. fair statement? Yeah, it gives you the flexibility, right? Uh, you put in the capital, uh, so you want your money back, uh, plus uh, you know a reasonable return on that money, and then and then you start sharing from there. So the waterfall is precisely the you know provisions that let you do that. Uh, maybe the next level is the founders, and maybe the next level are the key employees type of thing. So it's a nice nice way of sharing uh, inside the document. It's a contractual arrangement. Everyone understands it and signs on to it. And, uh, you know, so there's no, no complications there. The one area you got to be, you know, the, the, the tax distribution, obviously the LLCs are flow-through entities for the most part. Um, so the, if, the, if the company generates income in a particular year, they'll be tax owed by the members. So you, you want to make sure everyone understands uh, the tax distribution section, whether that's mandatory or discretionary, subject obviously to you know, bank covenants and, and, and ability to have cash to make those distributions. So, you know, those provisions need to be thought through, and um, and that's part of the uh, part of the distribution and the waterfall section. All right, so I, I buy into an LLC and we're humming along, and uh, I'm pretty much uh, my pretty much free to transfer those shares to anybody I want to. My, uh, you know, my. My, uh, I won't get into that in case Marty's That's a leading question, Brendan. Yeah. yeah, I know. I was, and I'm like, stop. Don't do it, Brendan. Don't do your normal stuff. But let's talk about transfer restrictions because I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand that there, that there are limitations on, on you know, kind of who everybody wants as an owner of the business. Yeah, that's, yeah as, as we touched on briefly before, uh, it's the key part of the document. And, and, and really, if you step back and think about it, it, it makes sense regardless of what type of situation you are, whether majority shareholder, private equity owned, and, and, and with other members, or you got a, um, you know, a 50-50 joint venture. Um, 
the document will have transfer restrictions. You don't want anybody to be able to, to, to uh, give away or sell their interest to somebody that's unknown, right? Clearly a competitor, for example, so you're going to have uh, a transfer restrictions that you can't uh, transfer to a competitor. If you're an S-Corp, clearly you're not be able to transfer to a, um, a shareholder that is not an eligible S-Corp shareholder. So, so that's fundamental. But, but second of all, you, you won't, you, sometimes you don't want your uh, business partner to transfer to a spouse or a girlfriend or their kids. And so you will have transfer restrictions, um, and, and it makes sense such that you, you want to know who, who you're in business with. Um, you know, the, the permitted transfers are typically for estate planning purposes, uh, for trusts. As I said in a previous show, you should... You should own your ownership in a, in, a, in a trust, not an individual basis, so you avoid probate. So those are the types of, you know, estate planning things are, are, are permitted. But after that, you, you're just not going to be able to sell without, you know, the full consent of, the, of at least the board or your other partner. So, Mike, also when I'm working through um, these shareholder operating agreements, I like to throw around key, you know, really cool words like puts, calls, drags, and tags because, you know, that makes me sound like I'm, like, real hip when it comes to this stuff. But uh, maybe maybe let me know what I'm talking about when I talk about puts, calls, and drags, and tags because it just sounds yeah. – don't those sound cool when yeah, you talk they, about they them? They do. They do, and they're, they're important, right? And so uh, these situations really come up upon in, in, in the private equity world where there is a, a majority shareholder. and. And the puts and calls are, um, you know, what happens, for example, in an employment termination situation, right? And, and typically, uh, the majority shareholder will want to know that it can get its, you know, ownership interest back, whether it's stock or an interest in LLC, back from that terminated employee. So they'll have the right to call, so it's a call right, to get that um, interest back. And you'll have provisions uh, dealing with that, right? So they have uh, what time frame, it's usually a perpetual right to buy back their shares and at what price and then what payment terms. Um, so that, those are very standard. Uh, you certainly don't want to terminate employee uh, unless it's amicable type situation to continue on in their ownership if they're no longer driving value in the business. Um, puts are a little bit rare. Those would be allowing a terminated employee, for example, to put their shares back to the company, requiring the company to buy those shares back, and and, and then you know what price that would be in payment terms and such. So uh, puts are a little bit more rare. Um, you know, it has to be a special situation. Um, drags and tags. So um, a drag along right is you know the majority shareholder when it wants out of the business in the private equity world, it will want out of the business. It's, its goal is to exit investments and return funds to its limited partners. So um, a drag-along right is the ability for the majority shareholder to drag the rest of the minority shareholders along in any transaction it is going to sell you know, its interest in, its controlling interest in. So uh, most buyers want 100% ownership in, in, in businesses they're buying. Um, this provision will uh, ensure... Uh, that all shareholders are going to um, agree and sell their shares uh, in any transactions the majority shareholder says um, that they think is uh, right for the business. And a tag-along is a protection for the minority shareholder. Uh, so a, ta- a tag-along protection uh, will say that, you know, if the majority shareholder is getting out in a rare circumstance where, you know, they're going to sell their 60 70% of the business but not 100 then 
that's really not fair to the minority because, again, know thy partner. They invested with that sponsor with U Evolution, for example, and they don't want you guys to sell uh, out from under them to some other sponsor or private equity firm. So a tag-along would allow the minority to tag along in that sale and, and sell a proportionate amount that you're selling. Now, a little bit rare because most of the time that's, this is going to be 100% sell and the drag would be more applicable, but it does give the minority shareholders protection that the, that the majority shareholder can't sell its interest without letting the minority at least um, share in that transaction. Because if you think about it, you know, majority control usually would, would become at a higher price uh, so it wouldn't be fair. Uh, the minority wouldn't be able to sell at the same price. So the, this tag-along lets them do that. All right. And then lastly, I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs don't fully comprehend or, or, or that when you enter into a you know, shareholder or operating agreement, uh, you know, kind of the rules in which we're going to operate, that, you, that often you decide what the company is going to be worth if one, one of the partners needs to leave. You know, so it's a, um, you know, how, you know, not only what the price would be, how it would be determined um, you know, in, the, in the payment terms. Maybe just touch on that briefly because I think that that's, that's most people don't realize that you've got to plan, your, uh, you know, you know, plan for the downside there. Yeah, you do. Um, many ways to do this. Obviously, you can agree on a formula price, you know, earnings uh, times a particular multiple, you know, less the debt plus the cash. So there's formula prices. Uh, it could be book value prices. Um, and, and you could have uh, an agreed-upon price where the partners agree annually to a price that will be in effect on a, on a year-to-year basis. You know, you got to make sure you stay up on that. Um, but that, I've seen that done as well. Uh, or you can go to some type of, you know, valuation expert, and, you know, sometimes it's one or sometimes it's an average of three. Uh, but it's critical to have some basis for determining valuation uh, if you get into some of the buy-sell provisions. And the payment terms, uh, you know, are typically, um, you know, 25% down in the payment over four years. And, and, and those are, again, guidelines and parameters to begin the discussion, um, but worst case, uh, you know, you would do it that way. And sometimes there's life insurance where, you know, the down payment would be the life insurance proceeds on a, like a split dollar life insurance policy and, and the remainder paid over time. So, uh, you know, important provisions and, and, and really need to be thought through because, you know, formulas and valuation, valuations can change. All right, so Mike. Now, and we've got we've got the transaction done. We've agreed on how my how we're the share how we as shareholders are going to work together. But you know, I, I'm, so, I'm I'm bringing on a partner, and and I want to continue to run the business. And so now I'm going to look to my employment agreement. And um, you know, and obviously, um, we at Evolution, you know, view the employment agreement as really a. Um, a document for the employee or for the the, the, the leadership team, you know, is a, is a you know, it, do you, I mean, maybe talk about, do you agree with that statement? I, I do. I do. So, I mean, I think it protects both parties, but I, I think, Matt, Matt, I think you're right. I think, you know, employee um, probably has a, a bigger benefit in getting an employment agreement. What, what that will do is, you know, basically give them a title, responsibilities, um, to make sure, yeah, okay, I'm the president and I get to run the day-to-day and here's the decision-making that I get to do. Uh, maybe it gives me a board seat if, you know, if you are the chief executive officer. Um, and then obviously it defines, you know, what, what salary benefits uh, that you get, your bonus arrangement, um, obviously vacation and some of the other fringe benefits can be a part of that uh, as well if it's applicable to the situation. 
but also it does then provide what happens on a termination, right? So there's no involuntary servitude in this country anymore, so everyone has the right um, to quit at any time, uh, to terminate their own employment, uh, and the companies have a right to terminate an employee at any time. And then you get into the definitions of did you have cause to terminate it or did the employee have good reason to terminate, or was it just, you know, you just didn't see eye to eye anymore and, and, and an employee quit or the, the company terminated them. So what happens to those situations? And the employment agreement is key to, to figure out is there, you know, what, what, what's the severance payment? It really depends on what type of termination there was. Usually there isn't severance on a quit or if you have a for-cause termination. But, you know, the length of time that the employee will continue to be paid uh, after employment that's, that's in the employment agreement. And, and then certainly restrictive covenants as well. Um, you know, you'll have, uh, you know, again, depending on the type of a, a termination situation uh, on a non-compete, uh, varying lengths of the non-compete, certainly non-solicitation provisions, confidentiality provisions, and then provisions that, you know, protect the trade secrets and inventions of the company. So, um you know, good things on both sides of the ledger, just kind of uh, making sure that, hey, you're my guy, here's the terms of employment, here's what happens if it doesn't, you know, doesn't go uh, the way everyone thinks it's going to go. The one thing that um, that frequently comes up when we're working on something is the definition of good cause or good, you know, or good reason. And, uh, you know, and, and obviously that's, that's you know, it's usually it's it's not a big conflict if or it's usually not a big uh, discussion or negotiating point if uh, if the if the person just does something illegal or really bad you know or, or you know that you know that, that really puts a puts the business in a bad spot but the definition of, of of good reason or good cause maybe talk about that just you know kind of briefly on you know kind of why that's a, a big issue in an employment contract yeah so this protects the employee from and really two things right is, is one is a demotion, right? You got the president of the company, uh, and that's the role he came to fill, and, and you really don't like him anymore, and you say, okay, here, you're vice president, I'm, I'm bringing a president over you. That would be typically giving that employee good reason to terminate, which would trigger severance and maybe a lesser non-compete type of situation. The other one is like a relocation, right? So everyone's here in beautiful, uh, you know, Cleveland, Ohio, and you decide to move the business uh, somewhere else to Miami, and and you know that relocation is a you know the the key employee here doesn't want to do that. That typically would also be a, be a good reason for him to terminate him or her to terminate employment, and that triggers you know different rights within the agreement. So those are the two big big reasons why uh, it would be good reason to terminate by employee. Mike, would that be Miami of Florida or Miami and Oxford? Because that would be really big, you know. It'd be a, all right, so I got I got all that stuff now. Maybe maybe briefly, well, let's get into some other ways that we can that the from an employment agreement perspective, we can we can get some compensation to the to the real performers. Uh, you know, maybe touch on some some options and some pros and cons of that stuff, and then some restricted stock grants and profits, interests, and all that all that fun stuff. Yeah, so right, there's many different ways to get equity compensation, um, you know, to employees. Uh, obviously, stock options in, in the corporation setting are very common. Uh, that really is a, a contractual right for the employee uh, to pay the strike price at, at, at different points in the future. Uh, and, and once they pay the strike price, they get, you know, shares of stock and become shareholders of the company. Um, key there is to obviously is to issue 
and create the strike price at fair market value. Uh, at the time of grants, you, you don't want that to be below fair market value as that would trigger, um, it, it would trigger tax and it would also maybe trigger uh, other, um, other violations of, of law. So you got to be real careful on stock options, but it's a very common way to, to share ownership in a company. Uh, restricted stock grants is a, is a lot like stock options. Um, that gives some, you know, time and investing hurdles, but it is another uh, promise via contract that you will get shares in the future based on certain events happening. So there's restrictions uh, until those uh, shares are awarded or granted, um, but it is another way. Um, profit interests are, are, are an LLC, limited liability company uh, type of arrangement. Um, fairly complicated, um, but the beauty of the um, profits interest is if you do them correctly, uh, that provides an employee with capital gains treatment on the sale of those interests versus, you know, compensatory or, compensatory or ordinary income type treatment. So, obviously, it could be a big difference in, in rates between capital gains and ordinary income. Uh, so, a profits interest uh, would be an area where you could get capital gains treatment where most of these other ones, you can't. They're going to be paying ordinary income on the exercise of options, and, and that could be at a higher rate. So, profit interests are pretty complicated. You got to make sure you treat the employee like a partner in the business, and and and, and certain other parameters. So, you got to be real careful. If you want to go after that favorable tax treatment, you got to dot the i's and cross the t's when you're granting uh, profits interests. Um, exit bonuses, I guess, is the last area that that I frequently use. And I think they're great. It's basically a contractual promise to pay X on an exit event. So, you know, it doesn't trigger into an exit, an exit event incurs a change of control transaction, and you got to be there at exit uh, to get the award. And the award is simply cash, right? So you, you basically can come up with any way that you're going to determine the amount, whether it's, um, you know, a, a, a multiple of what the majority shareholder got, if the majority shareholder gets two times its money, then you're going to get $500,000. So it's basically a, a contractual right to receive funds in the future based on an exit event. You can, you can really be creative on how you determine what amount that's going to be, and, and that's kind of the beauty of it. Uh, the other beauty of it is, that, you know, they're not, they're not a shareholder. Or they're not an option holder. So really, you don't have to deal with them inside the purchase agreement. You basically deal with them by paying them a fixed sum at, a, at an exit, so it's um, it's a nice it's a nice way to uh, uh, to to pay people and incentivize them. Uh, it's a common goal, obviously, is to exit the business in a short period of time. Well, you know, Mike, this is once again you you astound me in your ability to stay focused on all these uh, myriad of different issues over uh, an extended period of time, and uh, we are running out of time again, and, but I wanted to extend a, a huge thank you for sharing all of your knowledge, or just, I should say, scratching the surface of your knowledge in this area, <laughs> and uh, no, be you certainly should be consulted uh, in a, a professional capacity to get the full extent of everything you know, so anyway... <laughs> Uh, we appreciate your time on the show over the last three shows, and um, I'm sure that we will get a lot of great feedback from our listeners. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thanks, right, Mike. Take care. And with that, we're going to take a quick break on the second stage and be back with some concluding thoughts. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. 
America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you missed or discover new shows on the spot search voice america at your favorite app store get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on twitter find us at voice america trn or twitter.com forward slash voice america trn from the boardroom to you voice america business network You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. Uh, Jeff Cadlick here. I've got my partner, Brendan Anderson. We just concluded... A uh, third series with Mike Marhofer, a partner at Calfee Halter and Griswold, which can be found at www.calfee.com. And I want to, I probably should have prefaced this in the other shows. We are not providing legal advice here. This is purely informational. Um, Brendan and I, it may seem counterintuitive to listeners, but Brendan and I always ask, advise the people that we're going to go through a partnership with to get counsel uh, that does this for a living. And an M&A lawyer is very, very, very different than a corporate lawyer or a litigator or a real estate lawyer. Just because you're a lawyer does not mean you know how to do this. And in the end, even though you might be paying a little bit more on an hourly basis, it is over and above uh, worth it as an investment. Uh, and I know you agree with that, Brennan. Hey, Jeff, you know, it's funny because almost every single time that we uh, we, we deal with a small business, the, they, the, the entrepreneur goes to their, uh, their corporate lawyer and they ask the question, do you, you know, do you know how to do this? And almost always they say yes. And, um, and I think that what our advice would be is to kind of maybe continue to dig and say, how many of these have you done in the last you know, one or two years? And if it, if it really isn't their main business practice, 
you're just better off to go find somebody that does this. It will be smoother. You you will have you know your blood pressure will stay in check. You'll be able to focus on the things that are important and weed out the things that are not important. And we just can't stress it enough. And it's it's um you know we uh, there's never a time that we give that advice and the entrepreneur comes back and says uh, oh I checked and my lawyer's really good at this stuff. And you know then when we really dig in you know look that that we do find people that, that obviously they we have uh, we have had entrepreneurs that have successfully found deal lawyers um but i would say at least 50 percent of time uh just 90 percent of the time they have no (laughs) idea what they're doing and ultimately what happens is is the this is generally the first time the entrepreneur has been through this process so they don't know what is risky and what is a fair give and what is market and so on and so forth and so what happens is the inexperienced lawyer starts throwing out all the risks for conceding a point in negotiation and all of a sudden you get bogged down on stuff that experienced M&A lawyers just blow through really quick because there's a very well-documented, defined process for getting through certain issues. So go find somebody that do, does this every day and that will be – it's expensive, but in the end, it's a huge, huge investment. And the reason is is that this whole process of M&A, when you go into an arrangement or even any kind of a partnership, it's about sharing risk. And how much risk are you willing to accept versus the other? And a good M&A lawyer is going to be able to parse through that for you and get you to the right answer. And just some broad rules of thumb as we were going through these uh, shareholders agreements and employment agreements. Look, just because you've documented it doesn't mean that that's the way it has to work. I mean, you if you really like your partner and something bad has happened to them and it's unfortunate, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. And just keep that in mind. I found that Brendan and I, if knock on wood, have always avoided any kind of litigation and so on and so forth because – we tell people what we're thinking in advance. We're transparent with them in advance. So when we ultimately come to them with a decision or a recommendation, it's not a surprise to them. And we treat everybody fairly and with dignity. And you would be shocked, maybe you wouldn't be, at how often that just avoids um, litigation. And a good litigating attorney, uh, and they're getting off subject here a little bit, will <laughs> always advise you to not get in a lawsuit. Right, because it's just it's really, really, really expensive. So I think if you handle things with those rules of thumb when you're dealing with these documents that we've discussed, I think you'll find that um, you'll things will go exceedingly uh, well uh, for you. We're running out of time, Brent. I don't know if you have any concluding thoughts here before we sign off. Just what can your business look like with unlimited time and unlimited capital? The passion for possibilities. I love it. I love it. With that, we're going to sign off uh, for this week's version of the second stage. I hope that you found this entire series very, very helpful. And I know that uh, this has come at a time where most of our uh, entrepreneur and small business owner listeners have, have requested it. So thanks for tuning in to the second stage, and we'll get back to you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.